0: Good evening and welcome to NTD News, I'm Tiffany Meyer and here are today's top stories. More than 5,000 people are presumed dead after catastrophic flooding in Libya. And in nearby Morocco, nearly 3,000 are now dead after Friday's earthquake. The anticipated Biden impeachment inquiry now official. How the White House responds and how much support could the inquiry get in Congress? In the Georgia Rico case, Trump wants most of the charges against him thrown out. He's arguing that Fannie Willis' indictment is significantly flawed. The convicted murderer still on the loose in Pennsylvania and now posing an even greater threat to local communities. Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un, what's really going on? The North Korean leader is in Russia and a weapons deal could be in the works. And five former Memphis police officers now face criminal charges in the beating and death of Tyree Nichols. Over 5,000 people are presumed dead after two days of nonstop flooding in Libya. A quarter of the city of Durna has been destroyed. Benghazi was also severely hit. The floods overturned vehicles, knocked down trees and caused buildings to collapse. Over 10,000 people are missing. Many were swept out to sea. Others grabbed onto rooftops. The International Rescue Committee calls it an unprecedented humanitarian crisis. The flooding began when Storm Daniel overwhelmed northeastern Libya with rain, causing two dams to break. Rescue efforts are ongoing. And the death toll has risen in the Morocco earthquake, increasing from 2,800 to over 2,900. This makes it Morocco's deadliest earthquake since 1960. Many villages were hit, leaving thousands without shelter, food, water, or medical care. The earthquake struck four days ago and many are still missing or trapped beneath rubble. Former President Donald Trump discovers another way to get out of the Georgia Rico case. This time, he's following one of his co-defendants' lead. He's asking the judge to dismiss most of the charges against him. NDD's legal correspondent Arlene Richards has more.
1: Former President Trump is getting a little help from co-defendant Ray Smith in the Georgia RICO case. Smith is an Atlanta-based lawyer who helped Trump challenge his Georgia loss. In the RICO case, Smith filed an extensive motion asking the court to dismiss most of the charges against him. And Trump filed a one-page motion asking for the same thing. He adopted every argument presented by Smith. Smith's motion states that the 98-page indictment has voluminous defects and that it fails to allege an offense. For example, Smith states that the RICO charge in count one of the indictment fails to sufficiently allege a violation of Georgia's RICO statute. Count one accuses all 19 defendants of conspiring to defraud the United States by attempting to overturn the 2020 election results. Smith's motion argues that the charge doesn't specifically identify a racketeering enterprise that operated to overturn the 2020 election, and that the charge seeks to punish protected First Amendment activity. It says the charge could apply to millions of Americans who believe that the election fraud had occurred. Trump is asking that most of the 13 charges against him be dismissed. Over in Manhattan, there's speculation that Trump's March trial date in the Hush Money case could be changed. In this first criminal indictment, Trump is accused of falsifying business records. That's for allegedly mislabeling payments for adult film actress Stormy Daniels over an alleged affair. The payments came in the days leading up to the 2016 presidential election. Judge Juan Merchan, who was presiding over the trial, rejected Trump's request to discuss scheduling this month, but left open the opportunity to discuss potential conflicts in February, at which time, he says, they will know what the best adjourned date might be for the trial. While Judge Merchant mulls over Trump's mounting trial schedule, a liberal group in Minnesota filed a lawsuit to challenge the former president's candidacy. It's the second lawsuit in two weeks to argue the 14th Amendment bars Trump from running for office. Section 3 of the 14th Amendment prevents former government officials from running for office if they have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the government or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. The Constitution isn't clear on how to enforce the ban, nor who has the right to bring a claim. Some legal experts say the law was designed to block former Confederates who battled against the United States during the Civil War, and that what happened at the U.S. Capitol on January 6 was not an insurrection. Others argue that the Capitol breach was an insurrection and that Trump supported it. Arlene Richards, NTD News.
0: House Speaker Kevin McCarthy today formally launched an impeachment inquiry into President Biden that says Republicans seek to obtain more bank records from the president and his son. Joining us now live is NTD's Iris Tau in the Capitol. Iris, what is the speaker now vowing to do and how does an impeachment inquiry work?
2: Good evening to you. So an impeachment inquiry will provide additional legal power to House Republicans for their ongoing investigations into the Biden family. And that's exactly what House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is vowing to do today as he calls this impeachment inquiry a necessary logical next step. Watch.
3: House Republicans have uncovered serious and credible allegations into President Biden's conduct. This logical next step will give our committees the full power to gather all the facts and answers for the American public.
2: House Republicans have been probing the Biden family's business dealings for months, and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy today said that they have uncovered evidence that shows about $20 million were directed to Biden family and its business associates through shell companies. He also cited eyewitness testimony that alleges that President Biden was on several phone calls when Hunter Biden was meeting with foreign business Partners. So today, House Speaker McCarthy launches inquiry, but still there hasn't been any direct evidence to show that President Biden was directly involved either taking some of the money or helping to solicit it. So the White House today responded by saying that House Republicans have not turned up any evidence of wrongdoing and called it an extreme politics. And that's has Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer today called it a witch hunt. Watch.
4: I think the impeachment inquiry is absurd. The American people want us to do something that will make their lives better, not go off on these chases and uh, witch hunts.
2: And also today's launch of the impeachment inquiry also marked a reversal from McCarthy's previous promise that he would first let the full House floor to vote before actually launching a formal impeachment inquiry. But today, several House Republicans told me that they actually think that this inquiry is long overdue. Let's see.
5: I think the impeachment inquiry is long overdue. Nothing
6: is compelling as an idea whose time has come. This idea has come.
5: Twenty fake LLCs companies don't appear by themselves. Twenty million dollars is not just out of the sky.
2: However, not every Republican in the House supports it. Actually, there's actually skepticism across the whole GOP spectrum over if there's enough evidence that shows that President Biden is directly involved in his son's business dealings. So it does remain to be seen how much support the speaker can get in the House to actually bring forward impeachment charges against Biden. Back to you.
0: Iris, thank you for that update. Escaped killer Danilo Covacante remains at large in Pennsylvania. Police say he had a dangerous encounter with a homeowner and is now armed with a rifle.
7: And at 10:10 PM, a call was received from a resident on Coventryville Road, indicating a short Hispanic male, no shirt and wearing dark pants, had entered his garage while the homeowner was in it. And that he grabbed a 22 rifle that was leaning in the corner of the garage. The homeowner drew a pistol and fired at Cavalcante as he fled with the rifle.
0: Authorities responded to the scene but were unable to locate Cavalcante. The convicted murderer is now armed with a 22 caliber rifle with a scope and a flashlight mounted on it. The Pennsylvania State Police are asking all residents in the area to remain vigilant and to keep their doors and cars locked. It's been 12 days since Calvacante broke out of the Chester County Prison, about 30 miles west of Philadelphia. He was convicted of first-degree murder for killing his former girlfriend. Five former Memphis police officers face criminal charges in the beating and death of Tyree Nichols. A federal grand jury indicted them today. The former officers who were fired after the alleged incident are seen on body cam footage beating and kicking Tyree Nichols during a traffic stop. Further footage of the January 7th incident shows the officers spraying Nichols with pepper spray and firing a stun gun at him. They all pleaded not guilty in February. The indictment charges them with four federal counts, including excessive force and failure to intervene. Other charges include conspiracy to witness tamper and obstruction of justice. In a breaking development, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has arrived in Russia. World leaders are watching closely to see whether North Korea will provide weapons to Russia. NTD's Jason Perry has the story.
3: North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has arrived in Russia, where he's expected to meet with President Vladimir Putin. Kim took a bulletproof train with a top speed of just 25 miles per hour. A former North Korean official said Kim's personal plane is old and hasn't been properly maintained.
6: If he rides a train, he can command the entire country from anywhere because all communication facilities are available. So for Kim Jong-un, it can feel as comfortable as his home.
3: But where in Russia will the two leaders meet? Some say they'll meet in the eastern city of Vladivostok. Putin arrived there on Monday to attend an international forum where he addressed U.S. politics. Putin said it doesn't matter who wins America's 2024 election because the winner will see Russia as an enemy. He also said this.
6: As for the Trump prosecution, What's going on in the present circumstances is very good for us because it shows the rottenness of the U.S. political system, which can't claim to teach others about democracy. What happens to Trump is a politically motivated prosecution of a U.S. political rival.
3: So what's the purpose of Kim's trip? On the
6: the Russian side, there's a real sense of urgency.
3: James D.J. Brown, professor of political science at Temple University's Japan campus, gave some insight into the expected meeting between Kim and Putin. Russia is seeking to import from North
8: Korea uh, artillery shells alongside perhaps some other weaponry such as anti-tank missiles.
3: But what does North Korea want from Russia in return? From the
8: Russian side, I think that it would be um, more likely that food, energy will be provided. I think they'll hold back on providing um, kind of high-tech military uh, technology, at least publicly, because if they were to provide this and then North Korea were to use it in an aggressive Uh, step, for example, against South Korea. That would make the Russian side uh, look very bad.
3: Brown went on to say that if North Korea does provide weapons to Russia, we can expect a response from the U.S. as well as France, South Korea, and Japan. But he said it's tough to say how they could really punish North Korea because the country is already heavily sanctioned. Jason Perry, NTD News.
0: Now to the COVID-19 vaccine, the CDC is close to recommending the updated vaccines for nearly all Americans. In a meeting today, a CDC advisory panel voted 13 to 1 to recommend the new vaccines for people six months or older, rather than for just specific populations. Just yesterday, the FDA-approved updated COVID-19 vaccines by Pfizer and Moderna. The shots are part of a push by public health officials to align the next COVID vaccines more closely with the circulating variant of the virus, much as annual flu shots are designed. CDC Director Mandy Cohen is expected to make the final decision. Following her approval, a vaccination campaign is expected to kick off in the coming days. And coming up, China is targeting lawmakers in Canada and the U.S. A Canadian policymaker drops in on Capitol Hill to share his experience. China economy woes could threaten Taiwan, posing risks to the U.S. financial sector. The House Select Committee is evaluating the threat. An accusation that SEC Chair Kerry Ginsler is targeting former President Trump. Senator J.D. Vance calling Gensler's actions a true threat to democracy, while Gensler responds he's proud of what he's done. And Google is going to court. U.S. federal regulators have sued the company to determine if its search engine has an illegal monopoly. More in a moment here on NTD News. Welcome back. A Canadian official has made a trip down to the U.S. Capitol all to warn lawmakers about China. Today, he shared his personal experiences as a target of the Chinese Communist Party on Canadian soil. NTD's Sam Wong has the details.
6: On Tuesday, Canadian Parliament member Michael Chan visited U.S. lawmaker to warn about China. And he had two goals in mind, sharing stories and discussing policy solutions. Chan has long-voiced concerns regarding the Chinese regime's human rights abuse against Uyghur minority in the Xinjiang region. He also urged the Canadian government to ban Huawei, a Chinese telecom giant. And for that reason, he became a target for the CCP. In May this year, I learned that a PRC diplomat working out of the PRC consulate in Toronto had, since 2020, been gathering information to further target me and my family in Hong Kong. He says aside from being threatened by Chinese officials, the CCP also mobilized a smear campaign on social media to slander his name. Chong isn't the only policymaker facing backlash from the Chinese regime. U.S. Congressman Chris Smith received similar threats. The reason? For wanting to conduct an investigation into China's human rights abuse. You know, uh,
7: they told me they'd be in the FBI to watch out for my social media, um, watch out for other things related to finances. They have their ways. You know, so. The risk to me versus the risk to uh, the diaspora especially, particularly when it's uh, someone like a, a, a Uyghur or a Falun Gong practitioner or, or someone who really has raised the issue with regards to human rights abuse. Uh, you know, they're in a class of their own. in terms-
6: Another target for the CCP, dissidents living overseas. Earlier this year, the FBI raided a Chinese police outpost disguised as a service center in Manhattan. Authorities said that the station is there to monitor Chinese nationals particularly dissidents on U.S. soil. In some cases, also pressure them to return to China, including by using relatives in China to persuade them or threatening those relatives.
7: So its attempt to steal away and and crush uh, freedom of assembly and freedom of speech here in the United States, absolutely unacceptable.
6: According to Human Rights Watchdog Safeguard Defenders, there are over 100 CCP police outposts in active duty across the globe. That's as of last September and the real number is likely higher than that.
9: Um, These police stations are only the tip of the iceberg of everything that's going on in terms of transnational repression coming from the People's Republic of China.
6: Between April 2021 to July 2022, Chinese authorities had, quote, persuaded 230,000 Chinese nationals to go back and face criminal charges. Mr. Chong added that Canada is looking to exchange legislative information with the U.S. to counter China's coercive actions overseas. Reporting from Capitol Hill, San Wang, NTD News.
0: Is a crisis in China's economy putting Taiwan in danger? House Select Committee Chair Mike Gallagher says it's a real risk and that Congress members are trying to assess the risk to America's financial system at a Tuesday field hearing. NTD's Li has the details.
10: The House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party is holding a hearing in New York City this morning. The topic here is the China threat to the U.S. financial system. The event comes as fears of an economic slowdown are swirling in China. Experts say it could make a Chinese invasion of Taiwan more likely. And that conflict could spell danger for the U.S.
6: We saw that if China were to initiate preparations to invade Taiwan, the losses across our financial system would dwarf the write-downs taken at the outset of the Russia-Ukraine war.
10: To brainstorm a backup solution, ex-chair of the U.S. securities regulator Jake Clayton proposed a plan.
7: This is an area where I would at least consider a pilot program for very large companies disclosing the China-specific risks and what type of scenario planning they have done in the event of
5: abrupt decoupling.
10: That's to allow investors and policymakers to see the potential China-related risks and prepare for them. Other investment experts like short-seller Ann Stevenson-Yen pledged wider curbs on U.S. exports to
11: China. The export restrictions tend to be more effective, so we look at what technologies those are focusing on and perhaps focus on investment in those.
10: But a big question remains, is Wall Street prepared to protect American investors?
6: China is preparing for war with the United States. Yet here in New York, it seems sometimes that Wall Street does not act like the PRC is a threat at all.
10: Just last month, Gallagher warned how the U.S. risks founding its own destruction. That's after reports reveal Wall Street investments are flowing into blacklisted Chinese companies. They've been flagged by Washington either because of their ties with the Chinese military or for their connections to human rights abuses.
6: Taking on a genocidal communist regime as a business partner is not a recipe for success. It is a recipe for systemic risk.
10: Recently, while in Beijing, U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo labeled China uninvestable thanks to Beijing's policies targeting foreign firms through fines, raids, and a new counterintelligence law.
6: My positions uh, and my policy recommendations are not always popular in this city, but we're not going to be intimidated by lobbying pressure, or Wall Street pressure, or
8: CCP pressure.
10: The Chinese regime claims Taiwan as its own territory, despite never having ruled the island. It has vowed to annex Taiwan by force if necessary. South Ha NTD News. <laughs>
0: A fiery accusation, Senator J.D. Vance accused SEC Chair Gary Gensler of using the power of his office to target former President Trump. At the hearing, Gensler
11: responded that he's proud of what he's done. NTD's UTC has more. At a congressional hearing Tuesday, Republican Senator J.D. Vance accused SEC Chair Gary Gensler of harassing former President Trump. The
7: weaponization of the Securities and Exchange Commission, it looks more and more like not an impartial regulatory body protecting investors and consumers, but a regulatory body that it's using its power to silence and immiserate political rivals of the current president.
11: Vance said that many SEC employees Gensler hired, quote, seem to have a vendetta against the former president. Gensler hired former New Jersey Attorney General Gerber Grewal to be director of the SEC's enforcement division. Grewal had investigated Trump eight times while in office. Gensler also hired Megan Barbero, who had participated in the two impeachment hearings against Trump. Another SEC director, Melissa Hodgman, is the wife of Peter Strzok. Vance said he was troubled by the hiring of people who are apparently hostile to Trump.
7: I have little hope that I could persuade you that hiring committed partisans and using the regulatory powers of the SEC in a way that looks, and I think is politically partisan, is a true threat uh, to American democracy. Eventually, you're going to be out of power. And I have to say, Chairman Gensler, turnabout is fair play.
11: Gensler responded by calmly defending himself.
7: I'm very proud of the agency and I'm proud of the Division of Enforcement and my fellow commissioners in considering these matters.
11: Gensler had also investigated Trump's truth social media company back in 2021. He accused the firm of having improper merger discussions. The company trying to take it public paid a settlement of $18 million. Yuki Shi, NTD News.
0: U.S. federal regulators are going after Google to determine whether its search engine has an illegal monopoly. The company holds a 90% share in the search engine market. NTD's Eileen Eng has the details.
9: Google is going to court. U.S. federal regulators are set to launch an attempt to dismantle its internet empire in the biggest U.S. antitrust trial in a quarter century. Over the next 10 weeks, federal lawyers and state attorneys general will try to prove Google rigged the market in its favor by locking its search engine in as the default choice in a plethora of places and devices. The Justice Department filed its antitrust lawsuit against Google nearly three years ago, claiming the company has used its internet search dominance to gain an unfair advantage against competitors. Government lawyers allege that Google protects its franchise by shelling out billions of dollars annually to be the default search engine on the iPhone and on web browsers such as Apple's Safari and Mozilla's Firefox. Google counters that it faces a wide range of competition, despite commanding about 90% of the Internet search market. Top executives at Google in its parent alphabet, as well as those from other powerful technology companies, are expected to testify. Regulators also charge that Google has illegally rigged the market in its favor by requiring its search engine to be bundled with its Android software for smartphones if the device manufacturers want full access to the Android App Store. The judge won't issue a ruling until early next year.
0: Coming up, how will the impeachment inquiry into President Biden affect him in 2024? We bring you analysis of the allegations, the evidence, and the implications. And if minimum wages were to double, what impact would that have? We'll take a look with an economic analyst and dive into some of President Biden's claims and policies when we come back. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some today's top headlines. Two deadly disasters in North Africa. In Libya, more than 5,000 people are presumed dead after catastrophic flooding. And in Morocco, over 2,900 are dead after Friday's earthquake. Authorities in Pennsylvania continue their search for escaped killer Danilo Cavalcante, who's been on the run for nearly two weeks. The killer is now armed with a rifle after stealing it from a local homeowner. North Korean regime leader Kim Jong-un arrived in Russia to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin. The talks will reportedly center on a potential arms deal. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy called for a formal impeachment inquiry into President Biden. House Republicans have been investigating Biden's connections with his son's overseas business dealings. And now for analysis on the House impeachment inquiry into President Biden, we speak with Lawrence Wilson, who covers politics for The Epic Times. Lawrence Wilson, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show.
2: Thank
7: you, Tiffany. Pleasure to be here.
0: So House Speaker McCarthy is saying that the House Republicans have uncovered serious and credible allegations into President Biden's conduct. What kind of evidence would warrant this kind of an impeachment inquiry?
7: Well, that's a fascinating question because there actually is no legal standard for what it takes to open an impeachment inquiry. So that's really up to Speaker McCarthy, who on his own volition, uh, without taking a vote on the House floor, he uh, decided to open this impeachment inquiry. Now, what he has said that he has is a picture of uh, a situation in which credible allegations have emerged about President Biden's conduct that paint a picture of a culture of corruption, as were McCarthy's words. So it, the appearance is what they say they think was happening, is that his son Hunter Biden was peddling influence to foreign entities uh, and in exchange for money and that they believe President Biden participated in that and profited from it.
0: And on that note, McCarthy alleges that President Biden has lied to the American people in terms of knowing about his son, Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings. How serious of an allegation is that?
7: It would be a very serious allegation if true. The problem uh, will be proving it. Now, you remember, the lying to the American people it was what Bill Clinton was impeached for back in the 90s. In that case, they had very clear evidence of his incontrovertible statements that were clear denials. And, and of course, it wasn't true. Here it's a little different, because they have a witness who says that President Biden, then Vice President took part in phone calls and meetings with his son's business associates and the president has said that he had nothing to do with that. So it's one person's word at this point against the president's word and the president simply says, "I, I you know, that's what I remember. So it's not as clear that they have the proof that that happened. But if it did, uh, that would be an impeachable offense, for sure. A president has already been impeached for doing as much.
0: And now the White House is pushing back with the spokesman for the oversight and investigations, calling this extreme politics at its worst. What kind of defense Mm -hmm. might we expect from Biden? Well,
7: if his defense uh, ongoing is what it has been, his defense will simply be silence. He hasn't said much or anything about it. He's deflected questions about it. All he's he's willing to say is that he loves his son and stands by him. Uh, It's unlikely that he'll come out with much more until more concrete evidence of specific wrongdoing is laid at his feet. And remember, part of the reason for this investigation is to go in search of that evidence.
0: And zooming out a bit as we head into the 2024 election cycle, how do you see the legal cases surrounding President Biden and former President Trump playing into all of this?
7: Well, it's a battle for public perception more than anything. Now, in President Trump's case, he's under specific criminal indictments and has two criminal trials already scheduled uh, in the first half of 2024. So, apparently, Uh, the prosecutor, uh, Special Counsel Jack Smith, apparently is hoping to get through at least one trial and get a verdict before the election. Now, if that happens, that gives people something very concrete to think about. With President Biden, it's a little different because even if he is impeached, remember this is just an investigation at this point, if he is impeached by the House, it's very unlikely that he will be convicted by the Senate which is controlled by a majority of Democrats. And, of course, you recall that President Trump was twice impeached and twice acquitted by the Senate. So, for President Biden's case, it'll be more a matter of public perception and the evidence kind of swirling around. Of course, it depends on what the Oversight Committee and those investigating now in this impeachment inquiry, specifically what they come up with. But it's very unlikely that there will be a hard yes or no, guilty or not guilty before the election. So people will be left to weigh that evidence on their own.
0: Lawrence Wilson, thank you so much for your time.
7: Very welcome. Thank you.
0: And now I look at the economy. The Census Bureau noting inflation has soared nearly 8% from 2021 to 2022, marking the biggest single year increase in decades. How does federal regulation help or hinder that? We speak with economist and author Antonio Gorsefo. Antonio Gorsefo, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show.
4: Good to see you, Tiffany.
0: So, with this potential auto workers strike looming, there's a lot of focus on unions calling for wage hikes to begin. What are the short and long-term impacts of that?
4: Well, the issue with any kind of a wage hike is that you have a market rate uh, of pay. You have a, you, you have a market salary that's paid by all the other employers, and then we have an equilibrium of you know people that want to work at that wage and companies that are willing to pay them. When you have strikes and you have other or legislation that forces the wage to go up, all that means is job cuts because the money has to come from somewhere. The average corporate profits are about six to eight percent. So if you start trying to increase the wage by 20 percent or there's people calling for a doubling of the minimum wage, well, that money has to come from somewhere. They're going to wind up firing people. They're going to wind up cutting hours. And, um, you know, in the long run, it's going to do more damage than good.
0: And on the note of minimum wage, what's the root issue here when unions call for that?
4: Well, as far as minimum wage goes, you know, um, the uh, labor cost represents about 30 to 40 percent of the cost for most uh, companies like retail companies, fast food, that sort of thing. If you double the labor cost, now they need about a 30 percent increase in rice in order to, um, you know, to make the same profit they were making before and if they increase the price by 30 percent well that hurts everyone hurts all the consumers also it means that people will buy fewer of that item or or use that service less frequently shop at that place less frequently some businesses will be driven out of business because of uh tremendous wage hikes like that
0: and actually antonio you recently wrote an op-ed laying out how president biden has made a point since taking office of raising the federal minimum wage to 15 dollars
4: an hour with the federal government one of the problems is that the federal government is not subject to the market because federal government doesn't have to earn a profit and federal government will get reelected based on a lot of factors other than economic performance of their investments so he he might order a doubling of the uh, federal minimum wage or you know the minimum wage for federal workers rather and then a year from now he would say we, we successfully increased the wage of 100% of federal workers. Therefore, we are successful, right? Well, it's a law. Of course, Of course, it raised 100% of these people's wage, but did it help anybody? Well, where does the federal government get its money that it pays these wages out of? It gets it from taxes. So that means one of two things. Either the government has to raise taxes or the government has to take money away from other services, which might be things that you want or need and use that to pay these government workers a higher wage.
0: And now President Biden on Labor Day actually said the U.S. is no longer exporting jobs under his watch. You know that that's a bit misleading. So why is that?
4: It's a bit misleading for a number of reasons. One is that uh, when we look at unemployment, first of all, unemployment is higher now than it was under Trump. There's another figure, which is workforce participation, and this means the people that have just given up and are no longer looking for work or that chose, instead of looking for work, they went on social services. That number has increased. It's much higher under Biden than it was under Trump. So technically, those people should be added to the unemployment rolls, or they represent people who don't have jobs under Biden. So we do have uh, uh, higher unemployment under Biden, but we have a lower workforce uh, participation rate under Biden. Another thing is that if a company is going to build a new call center or they're going to build a new factory and they go, well, let's do a feasibility. Should we, should we put it in uh, New Jersey? And then they go, oh, you know what? Uh, with all the regulations and wage hikes in the United States, it's too expensive to open there. So we're going to move our, we're, we're going to put our new factory in India. We're going to generate a thousand new jobs in India. Okay. That does not. Now, Uh, towards unemployment, because those jobs never existed in the United States, and Biden is not counting those jobs. The Biden administration has a lot of regulations. For example, we have green regulations. We have environmental regulations. Um, Of course, we have safety and, and things like this. And while these things may seem good on the surface, the problem is that each one of those creates cost, and they encourage companies to move overseas where the regulation is less and the cost will be less. When you buy products from China, when you buy p- products from India, why are they cheaper? They are cheaper not just because of the difference in wage, but also because of the difference in the regulation and, of course, the taxes. That it's just cheaper to operate a company over there because you don't have to pay these kind of restrictions.
0: And so given that we are seeing a lot of notes on, say, DEI, ESG, all these different ones, as you mentioned, regulation, what would be the solution? And I think you mentioned leaving it to the market. How would that play out?
4: Yeah, the solution to everything is just leave it to the market. If you leave it to the market, the best people will get hired. The companies want to maximize profit. They will make decisions that maximize their profit. When people get angry at corporations, they go, all those corporations care about is profit. And I say, yes. Yes. And thank goodness, because that means they will always make the decision that maximizes profit. And that means if you're the best candidate, they will hire you regardless of gender, race, whatever it is. But instead, companies wind up in situations where if they can't, maybe they're short a worker and they have to find somebody that meets a particular criteria and they're turning down qualified people. So that also increases cost. Every regulation increases cost. If we leave it to the market, companies will do the the profit-maximizing activity. This will create the most jobs. And we all work for these companies. That's the other thing. Everybody hates the big, I hate the big corporate. You work for the big corporate. You're dependent on them for your income. You don't want them to fail.
0: Indeed. Well, Antonio Graceffo, thank you so much for your time.
4: Thank you, Tiffany.
0: Coming up, the new iPhone 15 is unveiled. We have everything you need to know about the new features and if it's worth upgrading. In the NFL, an update on Aaron Rodgers' injury. Will the newly acquired Jet be able to return this season? And in high school sports, a volleyball injury that never should have happened. We'll have Peyton McNabb's story and more when we return. Welcome back. Apple just unveiled its new iPhone 15 today at its annual September event. We talked with NTD Business's Don Ma for details. Don Ma, thank you so much for joining us.
8: Yeah, great to be here, Tiffany.
0: So give us a sense of what are the new products that were unveiled at the event today.
8: Sure, so the event was about an hour and a half. Uh, iPhone 15s will now have the dynamic island, previous ones had the had the notch. Now it has a better and brighter display and faster speed. Um, so these are some pretty standard upgrades. But the bigger upgrade here is uh, the camera for the iPhone 15. Uh, it has now 48 megapixels. And what that means is basically clearer pictures uh, with more detail. You can zoom in further into your photos and better portrait photos and night photos. Um, Besides the camera, it also has this new feature that will allow you to to be able to find your friends uh, with turn-by-turn directions down to the last foot. So you'll never lose your friends again if you had trouble finding them in the past. Um, And the last thing is that it has a new USB-C connector Uh, That's the same connector uh, you use to charge your iPad, uh, so you don't need as many charging cables. But of course, uh, the flagship unveiled today was its iPhone 15 Pro. Uh, It's now lighter, faster, with a smaller footprint made using titanium. Uh, Better camera as well. Uh, One notable feature now uh, is that the mute switch is gone and they're replacing it with a button in its place. And you can actually customize that button uh, to do other things than just muting your phone. Um, And another big upgrade to the iPhone 15 Pro lineup is that it it uses the industry's first three nanometer chips. So it's going to be more efficient. Um, But the, the bad news is the base price of the iPhone 15 Pro Max got a price hike of $100 compared to last year. Um, but other than that, the phones will be available later this month.
0: So how much is that phone then? It's uh, $1,199. I see. And Don, the Apple Watch has also got an update, right? What, what's new with those?
8: Sure. Uh, the next Apple Watch is the Series 9. It has a new chip, uh, makes it faster. It's, it's now also, also brighter. Um, they added a new gesture as well that's going to make it easier to use the watch with just one hand. Uh, They also made some big claims that all Apple products uh, by 2030, it's going to be carbon neutral. And Apple uh, will actually have a label on its products indicating that if it's uh, carbon neutral or not. Um, Of course, there's also the second generation Apple Watch Ultra. Uh, It's brighter, has more sensors. but other than that, the watches will be available li- later this month as well. And, and it seems like investors weren't actually that impressed uh, with uh, with the event. It's At, at its peak, it's, the stock was down about 2% during the event.
0: Interesting. Well, Ma, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Turning to the NFL, a worst-case scenario is confirmed for Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets. The four-time MVP will miss the rest of the season with a torn Achilles tendon, according to multiple reports. The injury happened just minutes into last night's season opener. The 39-year-old was being tackled while landing awkwardly on his leg. He then had to be helped off the field, much to the shock of the sellout crowd, which had just cheered his arrival minutes earlier. In his absence, New York still rallied to an overtime win over Buffalo with the help of backup quarterback Zach Wilson and a strong defense. Head coach Robert Selah said afterwards that Wilson would be the starter going forward. The Jets acquired Rodgers in a blockbuster trade with Green Bay in April, giving up significant draft capital to do so. He contemplated retirement in the offseason but is now signed through the 2025 season. Severe volleyball injuries are comparably rare and in some cases probably could have been avoided altogether. NTD's Dave Martin profiles such a case.
5: It was roughly a year ago when North Carolina high school volleyball player Peyton McNabb was knocked unconscious on the court after being spiked in the face by a 70-mile-an-hour volleyball during a game.
12: Well, I was knocked unconscious laying on the ground for about... 30 seconds in a fencing position, which is also known as posturing. Um, It's just how the body reacts to a brain injury.
5: McNabb suffered a concussion, whiplash, impaired vision, and even partial paralysis on her right side. Injuries she still hasn't completely recovered from.
12: When I'm walking, my left arm swings, but my right arm doesn't and um, my right side lags a little more than my left side, even when I'm like just walking and things like that. So, and my right leg would like drag and my foot would turn out, like things like that. When it just, it was harder for me to get around.
5: McNabb, then a senior and a three sports star, missed the rest of the volleyball season while using her basketball season to rehab, but she was at least able to play some semblance of softball again, her favorite sport.
12: I did pretty well, but just not like I had before. I'm thankful for how much I have recovered, but it is a slow recovery process that I'm still dealing with today.
5: Yet her injury might have been avoided had the state not allowed a five foot eleven biological male identifying as female to play on the opposing team. It was his spike that ended her season and any future scholarship hopes. McNabb, who stands 5-3, doesn't understand how this is allowed.
12: Like I said, it is a common sense issue, and bodies play sports, not identities. Well, men, not only are they um, made completely different, but there's a reason why there's men and women's sports.
5: Now, that reason, which is presumably why men play with a taller net than women, was recently acknowledged by North Carolina state lawmakers who passed the Fairness in Women's Sports Act in August. The new law separates school sports teams by the gender gendered birth, which not only ensures safety and fairness in women's sports, but also keeps males out of their locker rooms, a scenario McNabb says is unanimously unpopular among her peers.
12: Would you feel comfortable if you were a girl in the boys locker room? That no one wants to see a man watch them undress in their safe space, not one.
5: McNabb, now a college freshman, says she's thrilled with the fairness and safety The new law provides female athletes, even if it's a year too late. I'm Dave Martin for NTD News.
0: If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at eveningnews at NTD.com. That's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.